Welcome to the Listener's Commentary on the Gospel of Luke. My name is John Whitaker, and the Listener's Commentary is aimed to help you understand the Bible in everyday language so you can follow Jesus in your everyday life. And in this session, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 38. And just to set the context for that, uh, in our previous session, we looked at the ministry of John the Baptist as Luke summarized that. And it was really Luke's way of introducing John the Baptist as an adult, showing him carrying out his calling before God to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Well, here in Luke 3, 21 and following, Luke now presents Jesus as an adult. And so we've gone from Jesus as a 12-year-old, John the Baptist as an adult, now Jesus is an adult, and he presents this snapshot here as the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and he shows Jesus as indeed God's son, ready therefore to begin his calling as Savior and Messiah. So this section begins like this. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Spirit descended on him bodily like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And so this uh, is Jesus really inaugurating his ministry. It's his baptism. But it's his baptism that marks the beginning of his public ministry, and that'll be explicit in verse 23, where Luke will say, now Jesus was so you know, so old when he began his ministry. So Luke is presenting his baptism as really the beginning of his public ministry. He isn't baptized for repentance as the other people. He's not baptized for repentance and forgiveness of sins as the others are. That was not needed for Jesus. Nevertheless, as Israel's Messiah and thus Israel's representative, he goes through the same experience uh, as Israel is called to. That's just part of his redemptive work. And so this here is presented as Jesus really adopting the mantle of and entering into his calling and his public ministry. And one of the really important little details we should note here, and we'll see it uh, very shortly again, and it points throughout Jesus' ministry, is the role of the Holy Spirit. And so here, the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us in verse 22, descended on him bodily like a dove. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and really empowers him for his ministry. In fact, chapter 4, verse 1 says that Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, when Jesus begins his preaching ministry, says he he began his ministry in the power of the Spirit. Luke 4, 18, citing Isaiah 61, Jesus refers to himself and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to carry out his ministry. And so this is an important theme in Jesus' ministry, particularly in Luke's presentation of it, that the Spirit empowers Jesus's ministry. And let me just, uh, on that, just a little bit of additional information. Oftentimes we think that Jesus, you know, went about his ministry and did his miracles simply by the power of his own divine nature. And well, he could have, right, as God in the flesh, Jesus could have done that. 
But the Gospels in general, and Luke in particular, wants us to know that it was really by the power of God's very own Spirit that Jesus carried out his ministry. It was by the power of God's Spirit that he did his miracles. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, Luke says, remember Acts is written by Luke as well, so Luke says in Acts 2 that uh, God did miracles through Jesus. And then again in Acts chapter 10, when Peter is preaching, Peter says that God did this by anointing him with the Spirit so that Jesus could go about doing good and healing people. And so Luke is making sure we put it all together and see that it is the Spirit who empowers Jesus's ministry. And so the Spirit comes on him here at his baptism, does so in a bodily form like a dove. And Luke notes this happens not only while he's being baptized, but while he's praying and being baptized. And so the Spirit comes upon Jesus while he is praying. And again, this is an important theme in Luke's gospel, that Jesus is a man of prayer. As you read through Luke's gospel, pay attention to the times that Jesus departs from the crowds to get alone by himself to pray. Jesus spends time you know, on the hillside all night praying. So as you read Luke's gospel, pay attention to the emphasis on Jesus as a man of prayer. That's an important theme in Luke's gospel. Shows up here. Jesus is praying, and the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. And not only that, the voice of God announces and confirms Jesus' identity as Messiah and God's Son. And we've seen this several times in the early chapters of Luke. We've seen in, for example, Luke 131, in the announcement uh, of Gabriel to Mary that he will be called Son of the Most High. And then again in verse 35 of chapter 1, he will be called the Son of God. You see it implied in Jesus' own self-understanding of, of God as his unique Father and his unique calling to be about God's business in the episode where 12-year-old Jesus is in the temple and he calls God his own unique father. And so this has been repeated in these early preparatory chapters to uh, let us know who Jesus is. And here at his baptism, God himself speaks these words over Jesus really as a way of confirming his identity for Jesus and presumably for whoever else needed it. God says uh, from a voice out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And these words in some ways echoes Psalm chapter 2 verse 7, where God, speaking of the Messiah, God's anointed king, there in Psalm 2 it says, he said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. And so uh, Luke records God saying those very similar words here at Jesus' baptism, confirming his identity. God, in fact, will repeat these same words uh, at what is called the transfiguration. You can read it in Luke chapter 9, Luke 9, 35, where uh, there's this cloud on the mountain and there's this experience with Moses and Elijah, and God says the same sort of thing. You are my beloved son. And he tells the apostles and that are with Jesus in that moment to listen to him. And so these are moments where God's confirming Jesus' identity for those around Jesus and presumably for Jesus himself to, to make it abundantly clear who he is. 
Now, verse 23, Luke goes on and says this, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age. That's the statement that makes it clear that Luke is presenting uh, Jesus's baptism as a way of inaugurating his ministry. And so Jesus comes to be baptized uh, as a way to officially and formally begin his ministry. The Spirit comes upon him to empower him for that ministry. God speaks these words over him to confirm that indeed this is who he is, this is who you are. And Jesus, Luke tells us here in verse 23, was about 30 years of age when this happened. And that's appropriate. 30 years of age was the age priests were supposed to be when they began their duties. 30 years of age was how old David was when he became king. 30 years of age was viewed in ancient sources as the appropriate age to begin public service. And so in every way, uh, Jesus being 30 years of old just makes sense in his cultural and historical context. Now, in the middle of verse 23, Luke transitions to an extended genealogy of Jesus. And these types of moments where we're given long genealogies don't resonate powerfully, typically, with at least the culture that I'm a part of, Western American culture. We, we don't have these long genealogies of our family. They don't mean a lot to us. But in Jesus' cultural context, they meant a ton. And for the purpose of Jesus' ministry, it means a ton. Jesus' genealogy provides further confirmation of his identity. It traces his lineage through David, the one through whom the royal line of the Messiah was to come, right? So it traces his lineage through the line of David. And David is the lineage of the Messiah, and it traces his lineage through Abraham, the one to whom the promise was originally given that his seed would be the one through whom the whole world would be blessed and the curse would be undone. And so this genealogy confirms his identity and shows that Jesus is of the right line to be the Messiah. Now, I'm not going to read the whole genealogy to us. You can do that. It's a list of names, and you can read that. But it's also important to note where the genealogy of Jesus ends. So begins with Jesus' father, Joseph, goes all the way through the line of David, continues from the line of David down through Abraham, and then keeps going all the way back to Adam and it ends by saying, the son of Adam, the son of God. And the reason Adam is specifically designated the son of God is because he didn't have a mother and father. He was physically created by God himself out of the dust of the earth and from the breath of God being breathed into his mouth. And so Adam is the son of God. And so this, this genealogy traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. And so whereas Matthew's genealogy begins with Abraham, Luke goes all the way back to Adam, who had no earthly father, and in that sense was the Son of God. And so this is in keeping with Luke's purpose to show that Jesus is the Savior of all mankind and represents thus all humanity. And so he is the, the Son of God in a unique, fuller sense than even Adam is the Son of God, and yet he is the descendant of Adam and Abraham and David and everybody in between. And so as we wrap up this section, uh, just a couple of reflections. And the first is this, that Jesus is the Messiah, God's son. That's Luke's point in presenting him here and all the emphasis to confirm his identity. He is the Messiah, God's son, and he is now beginning to carry out his 
vocation as the Messiah, God's very own son. And so he is God's anointed king. That's what the word Messiah or the word Christ means. If you're somewhat new to the Bible and you come across the word Christ, it's simply a term designated for kings. It means anointed one, and it's the Greek version of the Hebrew Mashiach or Messiah. And so Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one by God who will sit on David's throne and who will fulfill the promised Abraham and who will be the one to deliver and rescue mankind from the curse of sin and death and thus bring the blessing of Abraham into the whole world. And so this is the fulfillment of the long biblical story and the promise originally made to Abraham. So Jesus is the Messiah, God's son. The second reflection I would uh, note here is don't miss these little moments where you have uh, the members of the Godhead, the Trinity, all involved in the work of redemption. You have Jesus coming to be baptized. You have the Spirit being poured out on him and coming upon him in the form of a dove. And you have God the Father speaking these words of confirmation and identity over Jesus. Jesus, Spirit, uh, God the Father, Father, Son, Spirit, all in this moment, present together, carrying forward the work of redemption in their various roles. Jesus, the incarnate one, the Messiah himself, the spirit, the anointer and empower for ministry. And God, the father, providing these words, all members of the Godhead show up here in this important critical moment of redemption as God's story now continues forward in and through the work and person of Jesus, the Messiah.